This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Two rather lengthy shows tonight, so I'm just going to relax and listen in along with you. First up, Challenge of the Yukon, and an episode first aired in 1949. Now, as gunshots echo across the windswept, snow-covered reaches of the wild northwest, Quaker Pup Wheat and Quaker Pup Rice, the breakfast cereal shot from guns, present the Challenge of the Yukon. It's Yukon King, swiftest and strongest lead dog of the Northwest, blazing the trail for Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police in his relentless pursuit of lawbreakers. On King! On you Huskies! Gold. Gold discovered in the Yukon. A stampede to the Klondike in the wild race for riches. Back to the days of the gold rush. With Quaker Pup Wheat and Quaker Pup Rice bringing you the adventures of Sergeant Preston and his wonder dog Yukon King as they meet the challenge of the Yukon. Say, get set. In just a few minutes, you're going to hear something terrific. Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice, the swell-tasting, ready-to-serve breakfast cereal shot from guns, are making a special offer to you listeners. We know you fellas and girls like dogs, so keep listening. We've a big surprise for every single one of you. Sergeant Preston had been summoned to the office of Inspector Maynard at Mounted Headquarters in Dawson City. The great dog king rested at his master's feet as they listened to the inspector saying, Sergeant... Have you ever heard of a crook called the Sparrow? I certainly have, sir. From what they say, he's just about the slickest crook in the States. He may soon be the slickest crook in the territory. You mean he's coming to the Yukon, sir? That's right, Sergeant. They think the Sparrow has his eye on a New York millionaire named J. Hamilton Rudge. This man Rudge coming to the Yukon, too? Yes. He was planning to sail from Seattle soon after this letter was written. I see. And when he arrives, the sparrow will probably be hovering somewhere close by. It seems to be the general opinion, Sergeant. Now then, Rudge will dock at Skagway and travel overland to Whitehorse. Whitehorse, he'll embark on the Yukon Queen, sailing downriver to Dawson. The Yukon Queen, eh? It's the last boat of the season. Right, Sergeant. So if the sparrow really is after Rudge's bankroll, he's pretty sure to be on that boat. I take it that I'm to be on board too, sir? You are, Sergeant, but not in uniform. I want you to travel as an ordinary passenger in civilian clothes. Well, what about King, sir? Can he come along? Well, Sergeant, I don't know about that. Oh, go ahead. Take him. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Now, uh, I want you to protect this Rudge fellow, Sergeant, without revealing yourself, of course. 
And at the same time, I want you to see if you can't get a line on the sparrow. Ten days later, Sergeant Preston stood at the rail of the Yukon Queen as the steamer pulled away from the landing at Whitehorse. The Mountie was dressed in civilian clothes, and at his side was the great dog, King. A few feet away stood another passenger, an elderly man with side whiskers and gold eyeglasses. Sergeant Preston introduced himself as Mr. Smith. Smith, Sam. I suppose there are quite a few Smiths up here in the Yukon. My card, sir. Thank you. J. Hamilton Rudge, New York City. I'm glad to know you, Mr. Rudge. You're a long way from home. Well, I'm on my way to Dawson on mining business. Confound it all. What's the matter? That woman coming this way, she's been hounding me ever since I left Seattle. Oh, there you are, dear Mr. Rudge. How do you do? What a simply beautiful dog. What breed is he? Why, he's an Alaskan Malamute, Miss... Uh... Oh, perhaps Mr. Rudge will be good enough to introduce us. Miss Laverne, may I present Mr. Smith? How do you do? It is so reassuring to meet a strong man when one is traveling alone in a rough and unsettled country like the Yukon. <laughs> You'll have to excuse me. I'm a skip like my This your first trip to the territory, Miss Laverne? My very first. The manager of the music hall simply begged me to come to Dawson. I take it you're in the theatrical business. Oh, yes, I'm an actress, Mr. Smith. And no doubt you'll recognize my full name when I tell you I'm Cleo Laverne. Well, I, I'm afraid I'm not familiar with the stage. Oh. Uh, well, it's such a thrilling experience coming to a wild new country like this. Seeing all these pine trees and mountains and uh, everything. Tell me, is it true that it gets very cold up here? I've seen it hit 70 below. Oh, surely you're joking. Don't worry, it won't get that cold for a few months yet. The looks of the sky, though, I'd say it's going to snow before morning. Oh, dear me. Perhaps I'd better go and unpack my furs. I'll see you at dinner, Mr. Smith. And I'll see you again, too, doggy. Cleo Laverne walked toward the door of her cabin, which was located only a few yards from the point where Sergeant Preston and King were standing. A moment later, the great dog growled and sprang erect at the sound of a muffled scream. It came from Miss Laverne's cabin. Come on, boy. Come in. What's wrong, Miss Laverne? Over there. In my bunk. A man. He, is he dead? About as dead as a man can get with a knife through his heart. Oh, Mr. Smith, I, I think I'm going to faint. Try to keep a grip on yourself, Miss Laverne. Tell me what happened. I, I merely came in the cabin and started to take off my coat and hat and... And then I noticed him lying there. You know who he is? I've never seen him before in my life. We'd better go notify the captain. Minutes later, Captain Goodall, skipper of the Yukon Queen, eyed the two passengers sternly as they returned to Cleo Laverne's cabin. Is this your cabin, Miss Laverne? Yes, Captain. It's this one right here. Well, where's the corpse? Right over there Where? on the... It's gone. Gone? Oh. Yes. Yeah. If it was ever there... It was there, all right. I suppose it got up and walked away. All by itself. <laughs> There's not even a blood stain on the bunk. The corpse was lying face down with a knife in its back. It happens there was very little blood. Mr. Smith, I don't take kindly to hoaxes. Now, good day to you. <laughs> oh, Mr. Smith, what a horrible situation. What on earth are we going to do? I think perhaps I can convince Captain Goodall that we're not joking... 
You stay here with Miss Laverne, boy. I'll go up and talk to the captain again. At sight of the sergeant, Captain Goodall's face turned red with anger. I've already told you, Mr. Smith, that passengers are not allowed on the navigation bridge. It's important I talk to you where we can't be overheard by the other passengers. <sighs> what is it this time? Another corpse? Take a look at these credentials, please. The holder of these credentials is traveling on official police business and is to be given every possible assistance. Signed, Inspector Maynard, Northwest Mounted Police. Well, if you're a Mountie, where's your uniform? One of the passengers on this ship is a crook from the States called the Sparrow. I'm traveling in civilian clothing in hope of discovering his or her identity. Well, I guess I owe you an apology. No need to apologize. Now then, Captain, about that corpse... The man was middle-aged, very swarthy, and had a black mustache. Does that description sound familiar? No, I can't say that it does. How many passengers are you carrying this trip? Five, counting you and Miss LeVar. And how many cabins are there? Ten. Hmm. Each passenger is separated from the person next to him by an empty cabin. The murderer certainly didn't throw the corpse overboard in broad daylight. But the chances are it's in one of those ten cabins. Right. We'll make a search at once. Sergeant Preston and Captain Goodall searched the five empty cabins and also the dining cabin at the end of the passageway but found no trace of the missing corpse. Guess we'll have to try the occupied cabins. You say there were three other passengers aboard besides Miss Laverne and myself. That's right. Here's Mr. Mason's cabin right here. Yeah, what is it? May we come in? Sure, come ahead. Make yourself right at home. Mr. Mason, this is Mr. Smith of Dawson City. Glad to know you, Smith. Pete Mason's the name. Up here to hunt gold, Mr. Mason? No. No, not gold. It's stories I'm after. Oh? You're a writer? Newspaper man. Seattle Post-Intelligencer. Mr. Mason, we're looking for a corpse. A corpse? (laughs) Well, Captain, I may look pretty green around the gills, but I'm not dead yet. (laughs) I'm afraid this is serious, Mr. Mason. Another passenger discovered a dead man in her cabin a short time ago. When she and Mr. Smith came up on the bridge to tell me about it, the corpse disappeared. Well, it didn't float in here, Captain, if that's what you're thinking. You mind if we look around? Not at all. Look under my bunk. Look in the closet. Look anywhere you please. I'll be only too happy if you can turn up a dead man. What a headline that would make. Post reporter finds corpse in cabin. Yeah. I guess you're right. There's no dead man around here. Sorry we disturbed you, Mr. Mason. Come along, Mr. Smith. Hey, not so fast, Captain. You're not leaving me out of this. Oh, very well. Uh, This next cabin we're coming to belongs to a Mr. Hobart. Who is it? It's Captain Goodall. I'd like to speak to you. Well? May we come in? All of you? Sorry. Should have introduced you. Mr. Leo Hobart, this is Mr. Mason of Seattle. How do you do? How do you do? Mr. Smith of Dawson City. I uh, didn't catch the name of your city, Mr. Hobart. Where'd you say you were from? I didn't say. Mr. Hobart, we're here on a matter of murder. Murder? That's right. A dead man was discovered in one of... What was that? Sounded like Mr. Rudge. Come on, we'd better investigate. We'll continue our story in just a moment. In just a moment, Quaker Puffed Wheat and Quaker Puffed Rice bring you that big surprise. But first, 
Here is Sergeant Preston. As you boys and girls know, my closest friend and companion is my dog, King. Right, fellow? <coughs> Naturally, I feel that everyone should love and understand dogs. And you should recognize and know the different kinds of breeds. Dogs are truly man's best friend. Fellas and girls, we're sure you agree with Sergeant Preston. That's why today we're making you listeners a very special offer. Listen, right now, grocers have special new surprise packages of Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice. Inside these packages, you get two different challenge of the Yukon dog picture cards. These two dog picture cards inside each package are yours at no extra cost. No box tops to send in, no waiting. These cards are like regular trading cards. They're handy size, stiff back, have the same shiny, glossy finish as game cards. These beautiful cards feature actual photographs of real dogs in full color. They're true to life. They're new. And you can get them only with Quaker puffed rice and Quaker puffed wheat. Now get this. Wheat and rice shot from guns are offering 35 different cards in all. That's 35 famous breeds of dogs. Each package contains two different dog cards. And they're yours at no extra cost. Think of all the different kinds of dogs you can collect. Favorite dogs you know, like Cocker Spaniel and St. Bernard. Or strange breeds like Saluki or Otterhound. Best of all, there's Sergeant Preston's Wonder Dog, Yukon King. Yes, you can get an exciting trading card of King. True to life, the real King himself in color. What's more, Sergeant Preston gives you a description of each dog on the back of every card. He tells you what the dog is like plus many facts you should know about him. Yes, these amazing cards help you to recognize and know about the different kinds of dogs. They give you valuable information about working dogs, sporting dogs, show dogs. They let you in on which kinds are good watchdogs or learn tricks easily. And mind you, these cards feature real dogs, many champions of their breed. Imagine owning an official collection like this. A set that includes the world's biggest dog, the world's smallest dog, the world's fastest dog. You find these different dog cards in packages of Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice. And don't forget, you get not one, but two of these dog picture cards in each package. There's no waiting, no delay, no extra cost. They're at your grocers now. Hurry, collect them, save, swap, trade them. Start now while supply lasts. Remember, you get these official Challenge of the Yukon dog picture cards only with delicious Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice. And you get not one, but two cards in each package. Don't delay. Start collecting today. Now to continue our story. Pete Mason, a Seattle newspaper man, joined Sergeant Preston and Captain Goodall in their search for a missing corpse aboard the steamer Yukon Queen. The three men were about to search the cabin of another passenger named Leo Hobart when suddenly a call for help rang out. What was that? Sounded like Mr. Rudge. Come on, we'd better investigate. Mr. Rudge. Roger, are you all right? Hey, most certainly I'm not all right. I've been robbed, sir, aboard your ship, and by heaven, Calm sir. down, Mr. Rudge. Tell us what was stolen. I'll tell you what was stolen. A jewel box containing two sets of diamond studs and over $10,000 in cash. You sure you had the box when you came aboard? Of course, I'm sure. It was right here in my suitcase not more than a half an hour ago. Mr. Rudge, we'll find that jewel box if I have to go over this ship with a fine-tooth comb. Yes. Beginning right now... We're going to search every inch of every cabin on the Yukon Queen. 
rejoined his master when the search party arrived at the cabin of Cleo Laverne. The great dog was puzzled. He wondered why his master had not given him the job of tracking down whatever was missing. A short time later, the party approached Sergeant Preston's own cabin. Well, Smith, we've searched every cabin but yours. Yeah, mine even got a second going over. That doesn't mean we suspect you, Mr. Mason. The first time we searched your cabin, we were looking for a corpse. A dead body won't fit into a suitcase or a drawer, but a jewel box might. Sure, sure, I realize that. Oh, is this your cabin, Smith? This is it. What's the matter with that dog? Offhand, I couldn't say. Suppose you open your luggage, Mr. Smith, while we try the drawers in the bunk. All right, Captain. Yeah, that jewel box doesn't seem to be anywhere around here either. What about that closet over there? Goodness, the dog is scratching at the closet door. I'll take a look. (laughs) Holy smoke! A dead man. Yes. The corpse that was taken for Miss Laverne's cabin. He certainly wasn't one of the passengers. He must have sneaked aboard while we were tied up at White Horse. Any of you recognize him? Yeah, I do. His name is Trigger Joe Fernandez. That nickname sounds as though he might have been a crook. He was one of the worst gunmen in the States. How do you happen to know so much about him? Newspaper men get to know lots of things, Mr. Rudge. Like, for instance, the fact that Trigger Joe was gunning for another crook named the Sparrow. You're well informed, Mr. Mason. Look, Smith, let's stop playing games and tell these people who you really are. Suppose you tell them if you're so sure of yourself. You're Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police. And that dog of yours is Yukon King. Was that a guess? It was a cinch. Yes, you don't know it, Sergeant. We've heard about you and that dog of yours, even way down in Seattle. Well, if uh, he's a Mountie, why is he operating in plain clothes? I bet I can answer that one too, Hobart. It's because he's on the trail of that crook I mentioned a second ago, the one named the Sparrow. You mean this, this Sparrow, whatever you call him, is somewhere on board this boat? I'll go farther than that. I'll bet he's standing in this cabin right now. What? Oh. Isn't that right, Sergeant? You're doing the talking, Mason. Oh, Sergeant Preston. If what Mr. Mason says is true, we may all be murdered in our sleep. I demand protection. Very well. King can stay in your cabin tonight to guard you if you like. Well, that's all very fine. But what about my jewel box? We'll find that box if I have to search this ship from stem to stern. All of you except Sergeant Preston, go to your cabins. Stay there until the search is completed. That's an order. A thorough search was made of the entire ship, but no trace of the missing jewel box could be found. That night... Sergeant Preston was awakened by a gentle tapping at the door of his cabin. Hmm? Yes, what is it? Who's there? That's fine. I'm almost sure I heard someone at the door. Maybe I better take a look. No one in the passageway. Because I must have been mistaken. The sergeant was about to close the door when he noticed a slip of paper lying at his feet. Hmm. Let's see what it says. If you want to know the identity of the sparrow, meet me in the dining room cabin in five minutes. No signature. It's likely to be a trick, but I'd better investigate just the same. The sergeant dressed hastily and went down the passageway to the dining cabin. As he pushed open the door, he paused and listened intently for the sound of human breathing. Hearing nothing, he stepped across the threshold. And at that moment, the butt of a pistol came crashing down on his head. 
moment later, the rear door of the dining cabin opened. Outside in the darkness, snow was falling, and a harsh wind was lashing the waters of the Yukon. No one saw or heard the unconscious body of the sergeant being dragged across the deck to the stern rail of the ship. Meanwhile, the great dog King was scratching frantically at the door of Cleo Laverne's cabin. He had caught the scent of his master as Sergeant Preston passed by the door on his way to the dining cabin. And a moment later, the dog's keen ears had heard a groan and the sound of a falling body. Instinctively, King knew that his master was in deadly peril. Again and again, the great husky reared up on his hind legs and sought to turn the knob. But the door was bolted. Finally, King trotted over to the bunk where Cleo Laverne lay sleeping and tugged at the blankets. What is it? What's the matter? King, is something wrong? Oh, so that's... I just want to go out. Well, I suppose the sooner I let you out, the sooner I'll get back to sleep. King dashed down the passageway to the dining cabin. The door was ajar, and King pushed it open easily with his nose. Inside, he caught the scent of his master clinging close to the floor. King followed the scent to the rear door of the dining cabin. The door was closed, but King worked it open with his paws and raced across the open deck toward the stern of the ship. Without hesitation, he leaped the rail and plunged into the swirling waters below. cold water had shocked Sergeant Preston back to consciousness, but he was still weak and dazed, and the chilling effect of the icy water had almost paralyzed his muscles. King! King! King, boy! Let us know you come to save me! Let it be a long pull, fella! Long pull! The great dog and his master struck out desperately for the riverbank, but the current was swift and treacherous. As they neared land, Sergeant Preston's last ounce of strength finally gave out. It's no use, King. I, I, I can't hold up any longer. Seizing his master's coat in his powerful jaws, King struggled on through the raging torrent. Minutes later, he dragged his half-conscious burden ashore. Look at old King. Once again, I hold my life to you, fella. Yes, I better get up and get moving before I freeze to death. Yes, boy, I see it, too. Looks like a lighted cabin. Let's head for it. At the cabin, Sergeant Preston borrowed dry clothes and a sled and dog team. Without further delay, he pushed along the coast to Selkirk. The Yukon Queen was tied up to the landing at Selkirk when Sergeant Preston and King went aboard the following morning. The sergeant had changed his clothes at the local Mountie post and was now wearing the red-coated uniform of the force. Captain Goodall greeted him with a look of open-mouthed astonishment. Seeing ghosts? Or are you Sergeant Preston? I'm no ghost, Captain, and neither is King. But man alive, what happened to you? We thought you'd fallen overboard during the night. Fallen's not quite the word for it. I was slugged and then thrown overboard. What? But how in the world did you get to shore? I didn't think anyone could stay alive in that water last night. I'd be a dead man right now, Captain, if King hadn't jumped after me and pulled me ashore. Luckily, it was near a cabin, and I was able to borrow a sled to get to Selkirk. No wonder they say King is worth his weight in gold. All the passengers still aboard? They are. I've been holding them till the law could arrive to investigate the murder. And suppose you ask them all to assemble in the dining cabin. I think it's about time we clipped the sparrow's wings. 
Ten minutes later, Sergeant Preston faced the assembled passengers in the dining cabin. Sergeant, aren't you going to tell us what happened to you? Yes, Mr. Mason, I am. Last night, a note was slipped under my door. The note said that if I'd meet the sender in five minutes, he or she would tell me the identity of the sparrow. When I went to keep the rendezvous, I was slugged and thrown overboard. Luckily, King jumped after me and dragged me ashore. When you got this note telling you to come to the dining cabin, did you know then who had sent it? I had a few suspicions, Mr. Rudds, that was all. Now I know for sure. Well, don't keep us in suspense, Sergeant. Tell us who it was. Before I make any accusations, I'd better tell my reasons. In the first place, there's not much doubt that it was the Sparrow who killed Trigger Joe Fernandez. Are you sure of that, Sergeant? The Sparrow's the only person aboard who had any motive for killing him. We know Fernandez was out to get the Sparrow. He probably sneaked aboard at Whitehorse and lay in wait in the Sparrow's cabin. When the Sparrow came aboard, Fernandez probably tried to kill him. Instead, he himself ended up with a knife through his heart. That makes sense, all right. But why pull that disappearing act with a corpse? It probably figured it would confuse us. And two, it may have tickled his perverted sense of humor. Well, you still haven't told us who the Sparrow is. The Sparrow had to be one of you four people. Oh. Miss Cleo Laverne, Mr. Pete Mason, Mr. Leo Hobart, or Mr. J. Hamilton Rudd. Last night, I definitely eliminated Miss Laverne as a suspect. Me? Oh, Sergeant. Because King was standing guard over her, unless King had been killed or drugged himself... She never could have carried out an attack on me. As a matter of fact, I was sound asleep until King woke me up. And I was pretty sure Mr. Hobart wasn't a sparrow either, because I remembered having seen him in Dawson City. Last night, when I was on my way to Selkirk here, I remembered who he was. And, um, who am I? You're Lewis Howard of the Howard Mining Syndicate. Well, I, uh, I suppose you've got some mining yeah. deal underway, and you're traveling incognito to steal a march on your competitors. Well, looks like you've guessed my guilty secret, uh, Sergeant. That left two possible suspects, Mr. Mason and Mr. Rudge. And how did you decide between us? The thing that decided me was the theft of your jewel box. Well, you knew I couldn't be the sparrow because I wouldn't rob myself. On the contrary, Mr. Rudge, I decided you were the sparrow well, because right. a while ago, you mentioned that the note that was slipped under my door said to come to the dining cabin. No one on the ship knew where the rendezvous took place except myself and the person who slugged me. Hey, you pretty smart, Marty. Ah! Well, it's not going to do you a bit of good. You'd better put away that gun, Sparrow. Save your sermons, Redcoat. Get back against the wall, all of you. Don't try any funny stuff when I step out of this door. It's no use, Sparrow. Don't come any closer, Preston. I'll put a bullet right between your eyes. You're not going to shoot me or anyone else. You see, I thought you might try to make a break, so I posted King right outside that door. Take him, King! Hold up! All right, I'll take that gun. All right, King. On guard. Now then, Sparrow, on your feet. You're under arrest in the name of the Queen. All right, buddy. Hey, I guess you've got me. But if it hadn't been for that door... You'd have killed me last night, and you'd have gotten away just now. You're right, Sparrow. But fortunately, King's always on the job when I need him. Aren't you, fella? Yes, boy. Thanks to you, this case is closed. These radio dramas, a feature of the challenge of the Yukon Incorporated, are created and produced by George W. Trendle, directed by Fred Flowerday, and supervised by Charles D. Livingston. The part of Sergeant Preston is played by Paul Sutton, 
They are brought to you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the same time by Quaker Puff Wheat and Quaker Puff Rice, the breakfast cereal shot from guns. Listen Friday when Sergeant Preston and Yukon King meet the challenge of the Yukon in the case of the hard-hearted hermit. I knew that Amos Benbow was not as hard-hearted as he pretended to be, so I thought it'd be all right to leave his granddaughter with him. I thought she'd be safe. I didn't suspect that bank robbers would choose his home as a hideout. That was when the trouble began. Be sure to hear this exciting adventure Friday. Stay tuned for Lucille Ball and My Favorite Husband next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for My Favorite Husband. This episode called Liz and the General first aired in 1948. We present My Favorite Husband, a new series based on Isabel Scott Rorick's gay, sophisticated Mr. and Mrs. Cougat, starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning. This is the story of Mr. and Mrs. Cougat, the record of a happy marriage. Well, as we look in on the Cougats this morning, the scene is familiar. Breakfast is being served in its usual manner. Liz and George are seated in their usual places. And the only sounds to be heard are the tick of the automatic toaster and the soft, cozy snap of George's cereal. But wait a minute. Can't you smell something burning? Is it the toast or the bacon or... Oh, I see. It's Liz doing a slow burn at George. Because, as usual, he has his nose buried in the morning paper. George, pay some attention to me. All right, Liz. Hmm, your hair is thinning out. Put down that paper. Why? That's not my head you're patting. It's a cantaloupe. Oh. <laughs> you're always so businesslike in the morning. Why don't we ever have the kind of breakfast we had when we were first married? Remember those? I certainly do. What do you remember most? The burned toast and the lumpy cereal. <laughs> now, George, I tried to be a good cook. Yes, you did. You tried everything. You know, it was very smart of you to butter the toast with unguentine so it wouldn't burn. <laughs> All right. Maybe when we were first married, I couldn't cook. But you weren't handy around the house, either. You couldn't even fix the lock on the bathroom door. Oh, Liz, that was ten years ago. Do you still remember that? Yes, every time I climbed through the window. Oh. <laughs> I'm ready to call a truce. And how about the time you rewired the house? Oh, now, don't bring that up. For two weeks, when you pushed the doorbell, the lights went on in the attic. Now, Liz... <laughs> I ran upstairs so many times, I felt like a lighthouse keeper. Yes, I said truce. Now, how about a... Big, early morning kiss. Nothing I'd rather do. Come close to me. Close enough? No, real close. How's it? Swell. Now put your arms around me. Oh, George. Now scratch my back. George Cougat, if you don't kiss me right now, I'll come to breakfast tomorrow morning in curlers and a mud pack. I thought that would do it. Ah. Liz, don't be silly. I'd kiss you anytime, anywhere, any place. <laughs> what are you giggling about? How about three o'clock in the YWCA steam room? <laughs> oh, it's a date. 
George, you know, maybe you shouldn't kiss me in front of the windows. The neighbors might see us. Who? The Chamberlains aren't home. Old General Timberlake is too nearsighted to see anything this far away. Not when he uses binoculars. General Timberlake, what a character. Oh, George, the general's just eccentric. He's a dear old man. Yeah, you didn't call him a dear old man the day you were having a garden party and he turned on the sprinklers. I don't care. I think he's sweet. I suppose he was sweet the day Katie was airing my raccoon coat and he shot it full of holes because he thought it was a bear. (laughs) Well, he explained he didn't have on his glasses. Well, even without his glasses. How could he think a bear would have a Yale pennant in his pocket? (laughs) Oh, now, dear, don't be so hard on him. You know, I've been worried about the general lately. He used to take long walks every day and he hasn't been out of the house all week. I think I'll go over and visit him. Mm, you're really asking for it. He'll bore you to death with those stories of battles he claims he was in. Well, how do you know? Some of them may be true. Anyway, I think I'll go see if anything's wrong. Oh, that sounds like Cory Cartwright's horn. Well, I guess it's time to leave for the bank. George, every time Cory drives you to the bank in that car, I worry. Why? Because that car is built for parking, not driving. <laughs> Reclining seat, indirect lighting, hot and cold running chorus girls. That isn't a car, it's a nightclub. Well, Corey does a lot of his entertaining there. Oh, he thinks he's such a Casanova. Oh, Corey's a lot of fun. Good morning, George and Liz. Good morning. Care for a lollipop, anybody? Where did you get a lollipop? I had a friend out for a date last night and she left it in the car. <laughs> Corey, it's about time you went out with older girls. Oh, I do, Liz. I finally met the girl. I'm really in love. Her name is Daphne McCormick. Here's a picture of her. Hmm, not bad. Hmm. George, I told you not to read at breakfast. Isn't she a ravishing creature, though? Look at those lines, that color, the modern design, and all those extras, too. (laughs) (laughs) Terrific, huh? Terrific. She's the reason good Sam turned bad. <laughs> hey, it's time we left for the bank. Oh, uh, honey, were you serious about going to see General Timberlake? Yes, I feel sorry for him. Huh? All right, but I hope you don't regret it. Remember the last time you went over, you forgot to salute and he threw you in the guardhouse. Well, if I'm not back in two days, send me a cake with a file in it. I'm over here by the hydrangea bush. Oh, hello. How are you today, General? Tension! Oh, sorry. Forgot to salute. Annie, pull up a knapsack and take a load off your case on. <laughs> thank you, General. How have you been feeling? Oh, fine, thank you, Mr. Cougat. Fine, yeah. Ain't felt so good since the Battle of Bull Run. No, there was a fracas. You know, I was the youngest officer there. General, you were in the Battle of Bull Run. That was 80 years ago. You were only a baby. Yes, I was the youngest officer there. (laughs) General, are those some new medals you're wearing? I don't believe I've ever seen that big golden with the red, white, and blue lettering. Oh, well, that's a special medal uh, commemorating one of the greatest events in our country's history. Let me read the inscription. Well, uh... Uh, Jubilee sale, Sears and Roebuck. No, there was a fracas. We've been worried about you, General. 
You haven't been taking your daily walk. Your leg isn't bothering you again, is it? Oh, no, no, Miss Cook. It only bothers me on the anniversary of the day I was wounded. Yeah. You know, I was surrounded by a howling mob of enemy. They charged me from every side, but I stood them all off single-handed. What battle was that? Jubilee sale at Sears and Robot. You know, I, I've really been concerned. I haven't seen you around for a couple of days. Is anything wrong? Oh, uh, well, now that you mention it, there is, Miss Cougat. I've been sort of keeping company, you know, with Winifred Higgins, the librarian. and uh, Oh. Well, now we had a quarrel because, uh, well, I did a terrible thing. Miss Higgins never forgive me. Well, what did you do? I kept a 14-day book 15 days. <laughs> Oh, that's too bad. You used to go to the library every night to study history, didn't you? Well, now, uh, frankly, Miss Cougat, uh, <laughs> I wasn't studying history so much as I was studying Higgins. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know Miss Higgins. She's that gray-haired librarian, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. Don't let that gray hair fool you, though. She may be an old addition, but she's still got a beautiful table of contents. <laughs> Libraries are such romantic places. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's all over for me now. Oh, now, General, Miss Higgins won't stay mad if you go to her and apologize. No, no, I tried that, but didn't work. I'm a lonesome man, Miss Cougat. I ain't got nobody to talk to, nobody to talk to about my battles. Reckon how I'm just an old soldier's just been left behind. (laughs) General, you can talk to me if you like. I can? Any time at all. How about this afternoon? Oh, well, well, that's that's fine. Well, sound the trumpets. Sound the trumpets. I'll be right over after chow. All right, see you later, General. Uh, Miss Cougar? Yes, General? You may go to your quarters. Oh, aye, aye, sir. Now you better practice your salute, Katie The general's coming over Oh, it won't matter if I salute him or not, Mrs. Cougat He never remembers who I am anyway Oh, the other day I was sitting in the upstairs window Mending Mr. Cougat's striped pajamas And he hollered, well, Barbara Fritchie (laughs) What did you say? Well, I hollered back, shoot if you must this old gray head, but spare Mr. Cougat's pajama bottoms. <laughs> Next time I'll buy George's pajamas with 13 stars in the seat. Oh, the general's kind of cute. He reminds me of my first husband. Clarence was a fighter. He took part in hundreds of battles. Oh, with Pershing? No, with me. Oh. <laughs> now, Katie, was he really a military man? Well, he was wounded in combat. The enemy caught him sneaking through the lines late one night and ambushed him from behind. What happened? The enemy hit him with a rolling pin. <laughs> I'll get it, Katie. It's probably the general. Oh, hello, general. Come in, won't you? <laughs> yes, sir. <clears throat> Salute him, Katie, or he won't come in. Oh, yes, ma'am. There he is. There he is. I'll be out in the kitchen doing KP. (laughs) You care for some tea, General? Tea? Oh, no, thank you, ma'am. Never drink tea. Always reminds me of the Boston Tea Party. 
Now, there was a freakish. Uh, sure, the whole bay was filled with tea. British sailors was firing over our heads. The guns was blazing. The air was black with smoke. Was that? With my trusty bowie knife, I slipped over the side of an old four-rigger down General, to the General, General, just a minute. Now, the Boston Tea Party was 175 years ago. Now, don't tell me you were there. No. But it sure makes a colorful story, don't it? <laughs> <laughs> What would you like to do this afternoon? Well, no, I thought we'd relive some of our American history. We'll recreate some of the big battles of the past. Now, the sofa there can be the port. General, uh, couldn't we do something else a, a little quieter? Mm, yeah. All right, Miss Coogan, all right. I guess we could play checkers or something. Well, that's all right, General, I promise. This is your afternoon. We'll do whatever you want. Good, good. Then let's begin by charging San Juan Hill. Mr. Kugas, get yourself a big stick and glue on the mustache. You're going to be Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> now, Miss Kugas, this chair is General Lee, and I'm General Sherman. What am I going to be? You're the outskirts of Atlanta. <laughs> this ought to be fun. What do you do, get a match and set me on fire? No, no, Miss Cougat. You see, I use this umbrella here as my saber, and I charge past you like this. What was that? You caught your saber in the outskirts, and now there's a big hole in the south side of Atlanta. <laughs> oh, General, don't you think we fought enough battles today? Why, Miss Cougat, we're just beginning to take Bunker Hill. But my troop is starting to droop. <laughs> Well, we can't lag back now. You're in command on the north side, I'm in command on the south side, and the lamp is Bunker Hill. Now I'm going to make a frontal attack. Charge! Oh, well, uh, I'm sorry, Miss Cougar. Well, what happened, Mrs. Cougar? Why are you just standing there staring at the lamp? Mrs. Cougar, say something. So long, Bunker Hill. <laughs> You having a lot of fun, Miss Cougat? <laughs> oh, yes. I haven't had so much fun since I got caught in the folding bed. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, sir, what battle should we do now? Say, General, I just had a good idea. Why don't we do the ride of Paul Revere? Ride of Paul Revere? Yes. Now, there was a fracas. General, you be Paul Revere. Oh, uh, right away. Katie. Oh, no. I didn't mind when he tied a message around my leg and made me a carrier pigeon. <laughs> but I'm not going to get down on all fours and be Paul Revere's horse. <laughs> no, no, you're the old North Church. But before you give the signal, open the front door. Paul's going to take a long ride. Yes, ma'am, I guess. Go ahead, North Church, give the signal. Paul, the British are coming! Yeah, the Redcoats are coming! Warn the countryside! Start riding, Paul! The British are coming! Well, here we go! Charge! The Redcoats are coming! Charge! General, that's the hall closet! <laughs> Sorry. Wake up! The British are coming! Charge! The Redcoats are coming! He's gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's too bad. I can't help it, Katie. He was wearing me out. If he comes back, tell him Molly Pitcher deserted. Anybody home? Liz? Oh, good evening, George. Honey, what's the matter? 
the general was here all afternoon. I've been fighting battles all day, and I'm so tired I can barely move my rear echelon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what did he do? Draft you? I tried to get rid of him once, but all he did was ride around the block and bivouac in the cellar. (laughs) Liz, you're exaggerating. Now, where's Katie? Oh, you mean Pocahontas? She's upstairs, lying down. What happened to her? General Timberlake insisted she smoke a peace pipe with him, and now Pocahontas heap sick Indian. (laughs) Well, I warned you about him. I know. It was a rugged day, but I'm still glad I did it. It cheered him up. He was lonesome because he'd had a fight with his girlfriend, Miss Higgins. My poor little tired papoose. (laughs) George... How about giving the city of Atlanta a kiss? All right. Mmm. Gee, that was more like the whole state of Georgia. Kiss me again. Let's make this Alabama, Tennessee, and Virginia. Okay. Wow! The solid salt! <laughs> Come on, sit on my lap, Scarlett O'Hara. All right. Hey, how do you happen to kiss so good? Oh, it's your inspiration. You're enough to make Mason throw away his Dixon. Hold me tight, George. How's it? Tight it, tight it. Oh, but Liz. Go ahead, George. Pretend I'm a sack of walnuts and crack my shell. <laughs> Look, Nutty, move over a minute. You're crushing my carnation. George, you know, sometimes when I'm with you, I get the strangest ringing in my ears. There it is again. No, honey, that's the phone. Oh. <laughs> Hello? Oh, yeah, uh, yes, General. Yes. Oh, oh, no, no, I couldn't possibly. You see, I... But we... Well, General, it's just that... Well, if you put it that way, General, all right. Goodbye. Well, Liz? That was my commanding officer. We march at dawn. (laughs) What do you mean? We're going to spend tomorrow at the museum, and we're taking somebody along with us. <laughs> I pity the poor devil who's going with you. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> it's you. No, no, no. I'm not going, and that's final. But, George, he wants you to go so much, and I promised you would. I'm sorry, Liz. I'm not going. George, he gave us a choice. If we don't go to the museum, he's coming over to reenact the burning of Rome, and he wants you to be Nero. I surrender. What time does the museum open? You are listening to My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning. This is the story of Mr. and Mrs. Cougat, of Liz and George, and especially Liz, who made a gesture of friendship to their next-door neighbor, the general, a gesture that was a signal for a full-scale invasion. Well, the general is not only anxious to be friends, he seems to want to form a permanent military alliance. Well, Saturday morning, the general, Captain George, and Lieutenant Liz made an inspection tour of the museum. Saturday afternoon, they all had target practice in the backyard. And now the captain and his first lieutenant are back in their own camp discussing strategy. <sighs> Where's the general now, Liz? He went home to get cleaned up, but he's coming back in half an hour, so you better fill the bathtub with ice cubes. Fill the bathtub with ice cubes? Why? 
He's going to demonstrate how Washington crossed the Delaware. <laughs> oh, Liz, I can't stand much more of this Army life. Neither can I. On the last march around the museum, my feet felt like two blisters with shoes. Well, I've had enough. Oh, he's a nice old guy, but when he asked me to climb inside the barrel of that cannon, that was the last straw. He just wanted you to see if the powder was dry. Yeah, well, if it had been, when he lit that fuse, I'd have been real gone. George, I've got an idea. There's only one way to get rid of the general. We'll patch things up with Winifred Higgins. How? Well, they say the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. We'll have them both over for dinner. Yeah, I think you've got something there. Give them one ear of corn between them, and they're bound to get together. <laughs> George, George, this is a terrible flop. General and Miss Higgins aren't even speaking to each other. What'll we do? Well, keep trying, honey. Maybe they'll break down. All right, but, but help me, will you? Okay. <clears throat> oh, that was a delicious dinner, dear. Thank you, George. Yes, that was a wonderful dinner, Mrs. Cougat. Thank you, Miss Higgins. Yes, sir, that was a real good mess, Sergeant. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is nice. All of us being here together, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. Yes, three. <clears throat> well, that was fun, wasn't it? Uh, Miss Higgins? Yes? How's everything at the library? Yes, Miss Higgins, how is everything at the library? Oh, fine. That's nice. People still reading as much as ever, I suppose. Yes. Yes, they are. That's nice. Help me, George. All right. Uh, <clears throat> Miss Higgins. Yes, Mr. Cougar? Uh, read any good books lately? <laughs> Say, uh, Miss Cougar, did I ever tell you about the War of 1812? Yes, you did. Mm. Say, Mr. Cougar, did I ever tell you about the War of 1812? Yes, you did. Mm. Say, yes, the... you did. <laughs> General, there's a moon out tonight And there's a swing on the porch Isn't there somebody you'd like to take out there? Well, no Yes, there is Well, then But what'll Mr. Cougat and Miss Higgins do whilst we're gone? General, I meant Miss Higgins Oh, no, no, Miss Cougat. I'd much rather talk to you. Oh, please, General. <laughs> you remember the fun we had yesterday when I charged and ripped your skirt? <laughs> well, please, General. And then we knocked over Bunker Hill and spent an hour together in the dark. <laughs> well. General, the next thing you'll be telling them how we took Fort Sumter and got locked in the closet. Well. Well. Now, wait a minute, please. George, say something. Hi, Liz. <laughs> Uh, Mrs. Cougat, it's very sweet of you trying to patch things up with a certain party who mutilate books in the public library. But I just don't want to patch things up with a certain party who always have to eat and read at the same time. Well, I like to eat whilst I'm reading. Yes. But how does it look when you open a history book and find the pilgrim setting foot on a piece of salami? <laughs> now, Miss Higgins And the uh, other day, a little boy wanted to know why The Constitution was written on a fried egg <laughs> Imagine leaving food in a book Leave it? I put it there, them was bookmarks <laughs> <laughs> Well, yourself George, you'd better say something 
read any good salami lately? <laughs> General, you know perfectly well you want to be friends with Miss Higgins again. No, I don't. No, I don't. I don't need Miss Higgins now that I've found you. You're my new aide-de-camp. You can bring your duffel bag to my headquarters any day. General, please, you don't understand. My duffel belongs to George. I don't care, Mr. <laughs> I don't care. You may be assigned to another battalion, but I can get you transferred for active duty. <laughs> Mrs. Cougar, if you don't mind, I think I'll go home. Thank you for the dinner. Thanks for everything. Oh, I've had a wonderful time! <laughs> Now, General, aren't you ashamed of yourself? You've made her cry. Well, didn't expect her to do that. I tried to get you two together, and what do you do? You ruin it. Now, Liz, it isn't all the General's fault. Don't forget it was your idea. Well, I might have known this would happen. Just when the battle's going against me, my own captain looks me in the face and shoots me in the back. <laughs> Liz, you can smile now. The general's gone. Oh, George, when it comes to messing things up, I can outmess anybody in the whole world. Well, you only get in these messes because you're so generous and try to help people out. George, now the general wants me for his aide-de-camp. Oh, honey, the general's unpredictable. He probably won't visit us again for days. You think so? I know so. George, salute with both hands. I can't get up. As you were, as you were. Just came over to thank you for your courageous and unselfish service to a comrade in arms. General, the only comrade in my arms is going to be George Cougar. It's in our contract. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, Miss Cougat, don't you worry about me. Miss Higgins and I finally made up. Yeah, we're as close as Kaiser and Fraser. <laughs> Miss... <laughs> Miss Higgins uh, isn't mad at you anymore. No, no. She was waiting for me by the hydrangea bush. <laughs> And she said I could take books out just so long I kept mustard off my bookmarks. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. The end of a perfect day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, now there's uh, just one thing that kind of worries me. What's that? Miss Cougat, uh, I was using my charms on you for selfish reasons. And if it turns your head, I'm, well, I'm sorry. I was just trying to make Miss Higgins jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Why, General. General, you're, uh... Kind of a wolf. Yeah. With my hair, I'm more of a silver fox, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, well, <clears throat> guess I better be getting back to the library. But, um, say, before I go, did I ever tell you about the Spanish-American War? Now, there was a fracas. We was down to the Philippines, see, and was hard General, as General. Hmm? Now, come on, confess. You weren't really in the Spanish-American War, were you? <laughs> well, you know something that's good yet? I really would. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> oh, I never want to live through two days like this again. It was kind of hectic, wasn't it? It reminds me of our honeymoon. Our honeymoon. Now there was a fracas. <laughs>
thinking of something? Yes. What? Sleeping. George, it's stuffy in here. One of us forgot to open the window. Yeah, one of us forgot to open the window. One of us ought to get up and do it. Yeah, one of us ought to get up and do it. Well, somebody's got to do it. What are you waiting for? A burglar. Oh, George, please. All right. Well, the window's stuck. I, I can't raise it. That's funny. There is a burglar. He's looking in the window when he's wearing striped pajamas. George, you're trying to raise the mirror. <laughs> I, I thought he was a pretty good-looking burglar. Oh, come back over here and kiss me. Okay. But I kissed you last night and got my ear caught in a curler. I'm not wearing curlers tonight. Hmm? What are you wearing? Pajamas. They're warmer. <laughs> Well, here's your good night kiss. Mm. Oh, George, I'm lucky to be married to you. Why? Because if I weren't, I'd get in a lot of trouble sneaking over here every night for a kiss. Good night, George. My Favorite Husband has been presented through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week when I'll feature more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Bind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.